0: Hello and welcome to the podcast for the July 2011 issue of the Lancet Infectious Diseases. I'm Richard Lane and I'm joined once again this month by the editor of TLID, John McConnell. John, welcome and let's discuss the issue very much... HIV this month presumably because of the International aid Society meeting coming up in Rome is that next month
1: that's July so it can coincides with the um, with, with the date on the cover of this issue and uh, yes as you say that's the the biannual uh, IAS uh, meeting which um, sort of alternates with the um, uh, with the international AIDS AIDS meeting which uh, takes some some somewhat more of a political focus so the the meeting that's coming up takes something of some somewhat more of a science focus what we have done is we have put together a collection of papers with a HIV related theme uh, uh, in this July issue.
0: Great, thanks John. Let's start with a very scientific paper. This is looking at an HIV vaccine. Uh, tell us about the context here. What have HIV vaccine trials told us up until now?
1: Well they haven't been very promising uh, up until now. I, I went and looked up a, um, a paper which, a review which we published last year of uh, HIV vaccines and at the time that that paper was published in 2010 there had been something like 170 phase one to phase three trials of HIV vaccines but only five of those had actually had an efficacy endpoint. So this is one of those, um, an addition to those trials with, with an efficacy endpoint.
0: So it's efficacy it's phase two trial what are the other aims
1: of this uh, study the aims of the study it's a randomized trial it's comparing uh, an hiv vaccine with placebo and the endpoints are reduction in acquisition of hiv infection and reduction in uh, viral load and the
0: results john well negative
1: uh, uh, essentially negative i think what we have to look at here is that this is the Kind of African version of what was called the STEP trial. So the STEP trial was a multinational trial which uh, was stopped prematurely in uh, 2009 because of futility. Because that trial was stopped, then this African trial, which is called the FAMBIL trial, was stopped also. So the uh, investigators were only able to recruit around about 800 of the planned 3,000 patients which they intended to recruit. There was no efficacy in terms of uh, reduction in infection or changes in viral load. And one of the reasons for that could well be that because of the early stopping, it's just hard to draw concrete conclusions that they don't have because they don't have um, sufficient patients. But I think what we still need to do, or the investigators still need to do, is that they do need to continue to follow the patients who are involved in this trial to see if the long term follow-up, to see if there was an effect of the vaccine in disease progression. And there has been one other trial, I think it was called the RV144 trial, which was done in Thailand, which did show some hints of efficacy. So perhaps we are starting to move forward, um, even though this trial itself is not particularly promising. Perhaps there are some indicators of, of where we need to go in the future design of HIV vaccines and and of trials of those vaccines.
0: Next, John, a very different looking study, and this concerns the application of antiretroviral ART therapy in China. Now, I'm assuming that one of the issues here is that a very large country like China, getting information about HIV is difficult. Is that right?
1: Yes. Well, HIV had tended to be something of a neglected disease in China until the past decade. When there was a, the effort to um, find and treat patients with, with HIV has, has substantially improved.
0: So what are the main findings from this observational study, John? Yeah.
1: So as you say, this is a, as an observational study. I mean, the number of patients with HIV in China is, is huge in the sort of 300 to 400,000 range at least. What had been missing before was a picture of the overall mortality from HIV in China. So what the authors of this study have, have found is a, um, a mortality re- reduction between 2002 going up to 2009 they have found a, a pretty substantial mor- mortality reduction and that's because a large number of people are now being treated. However, there are still some neglected groups and those groups are particularly injecting drug users and patients who have been infected through um, heterosexual transmission. There has been a, uh, a particular picture of HIV in China where um, patients have been infected rather strangely through through blood donations. Yeah, through blood plasma? Through blood plasma, yes, yes. Something which is quite unusual for China. So
0: this paper, important in terms of the statistics, but also in terms of the policy implications for China.
1: It shows that they have done a fantastic job, uh, that there are a lot of people on antiviral viral therapy, that the program uh, is an overall success, uh, but it's very important that there is better diagnosis and better access to treatment in these neglected groups.
0: And John, from China to South Africa, and here a study looking at the very important interrelation between tuberculosis and HIV. This is specifically looking at a way of, of treating tuberculosis among seriously ill people with HIV, is that right?
1: That's right. So we're, we're back in South Africa again, which is where our um, HIV vaccine uh, trial also comes from. But then South Africa has probably got the, uh, the highest prevalence of HIV of, of any country in the world. So it's, uh, it's not surprising there's a lot of research coming out of South Africa. This study is looking at patients who are co-infected with uh, pulmonary TB, with smear-negative pulmonary TB, uh, and with HIV. It's a comparison of a new WHO algorithm for managing these patients with what they call standard care. And just to give you an idea of the the scale of the uh, HIV epidemic in in South Africa, there are estimated to be around about one million patients in South Africa who are co-infected with both HIV and uh, TB.
0: And John, can I be mean and ask you to try and uh, define this algorithm? It's a bit complicated. It is a bit
1: complicated, very hard to put in a few words, but uh, essentially it's a, um, uh, compared with standard care, it's a broadening of the diagnostic uh, criteria. It includes um, routine sputum culture, which might not otherwise been done, and uh, a very early treatment of um, suspected cases. Now, perhaps a problem with implementing this algorithm is that certainly the early diagnostic criteria might put an unmanageable load on, on diagnostic services.
0: Thanks, John. Go on and... Um tell us the main results.
1: It's an uh, observational study, two consecutive cohorts of the um, standard practice, followed by the implementation of the WHO criteria. It took place in HIV-infected adults with suspected uh, smear-negative pulmonary TB. There was a significant reduction in mortality and that's you could argue that is the most important thing is there's a very significant reduction in mortality for those patients who were treated under the, um, uh, the WHO algorithm.
0: And finally John talking of co-infection but this time between HIV and malaria it's a systematic review and it's looking at the effect of HIV infection in the way individuals respond to malaria infection and and vice versa what's
1: the aim of this review? Just to summarize I think very briefly which is of of quite a substantial paper which covers very many areas. Let me just read out a sentence or two from the paper itself which kind of gives you a flavour of the potential scope of the problem of um, HIV and malaria co-infection in South Africa. So the authors say in their introduction in 41 sub-Saharan African countries HIV infection is thought to have caused an average increase in the prevalence of malaria of 1.3% and malaria-related mortality of 4.9%. Overall, an extra 3 million cases of clinical malaria, and 65,000 malaria-related deaths can be attributed to HIV infection in Africa every single year. So we do have a a very substantial problem here. What the authors show is that um, co-infection has, that the HIV element has a substantial effect on the immune response to malaria, thus increasing the potential for for mortality, uh, and it alters the, the clinical presentation of the disease. And are there any broad conclusions from the authors? There are things that need to be done. For example, one of the prophylactic measures which can be taken uh, against malaria is is the use of um, cotrimoxazole. But that might not be suitable in, in patients who are allergic to sulfonamides, uh, cotrimoxazole being a sulfonamide drug. So there are other interventions we need to look at here. But they do have a sort of note of optimism here. They do say that the picture with malaria in, in Africa is changing because of the use of insecticide-treated bed nets because of uh, prophylaxis with drugs such as uh, cotramoxazole and because the